Let's pray. Father, as we come and open up your glorious word this morning, open our eyes to see how life-giving it is. Open our eyes to see those things that we may not have seen before, those places where, where we may be blind to the truth you're longing for us to see. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, come open our hearts, our minds to understand, our eyes to see and behold more and more of your beauty and your glory. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, that glorious ancient prayer, come, make your presence known to us now. In Christ's name, amen, amen. You'll often hear me in my prayer on, uh, as I begin my sermon with that, those words, come Holy Spirit. That is an ancient prayer that the church has prayed for centuries. And it's a recognition that it's only through the illumination of the Holy Spirit that we can understand God's Word. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can know more and more the love of God the Father, the love of Christ our Savior for you and me. So you'll often hear me do that, and it's a reminder we need the Holy Spirit to come, breathe fresh wind into our lives. Well, in the story we're going to look at this morning, we see two followers of Jesus leaving Jerusalem on their way to a town called Emmaus. And on their journey, on the seven-mile road, they're trying to make sense of all the events that had just taken place three days before. You see, these were followers of Jesus. They for sure knew that he had been arrested. They were likely there when he was hung on a cross and crucified. They know that he died. They know that he was placed in a grave. And in their bewilderment and all of that, they find that these ladies go to the tomb that Easter morning, that resurrection morning, and Jesus' body's not there. And they run and tell the disciples, and they had heard that the body of Jesus wasn't there. And as you can imagine, they're on this road, leaving Jerusalem to go to Emmaus, wondering what in the world is going on. They were hopeless. It says they were sad. They were trying to make sense of life. How in the world could you make sense of this? They, they had no paradigm for what had just taken place. Well, I love this scene because it is such a picture for you and me of the ordinary life that we live every day. You see, as we walk through the various seasons of life, what we find is we find ourselves like these two disciples trying to make sense out of life, trying to understand the circumstances that we find ourselves in. You know, we live in a time where our culture is rapidly changing. Life is becoming more and more complex. We and our children are being faced with ideologies that we never thought we would have to navigate through in our culture today. Economic stress and pressure for some is, is mounting. Some of you feel that. We feel it to various degrees. We recognize when we turn on the news, we're reminded of the war in Ukraine that's been going on for over a year. We recognize the other world wars going on around the world. We wonder, how do we make sense of all of this? But then we bring it closer to home, and we wonder, how do we make sense of that moment when you get the phone call for some of you, and it's the doctor with your test results, and it's a life-threatening illness? How do you make sense of life when that happens how do you make sense of life when the job that you love has ended? How do you make sense of life when one of your kids comes to you and says, I no longer want to follow God? I found another way. 
How do we make sense when a tornado devastates communities here? Many of you know exactly what that's like. How do we make sense of all of that? How do we make sense of the men and women that we pass on the street corners or under the bridges as we drive every day who are looking for food, looking for money, looking for shelter? How do we make sense? You see, as we walk through the day, all of us have those moments when we're trying to make sense of the things going on in our lives. Well, Jesus helps us with answers to those questions. He guides us in what to do in those moments. So two things we're going to highlight from this passage in Luke 24. The first is this. Jesus comes and encounters us in the midst of our searching for answers. He encounters us in the midst of our searching with all the questions that we have as we're looking for answers. Secondly, we see this, that Jesus comes and he reframes our understanding of ourselves and this world by bringing us back to the biblical narrative, the narrative that actually makes sense of all of life. So let's jump in. We see here Jesus encountering us in the midst of our searching for answers. Verses 13 through 15 We read, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Friends, we could just stop there and say, just meditate upon that reality. Jesus drew near, and what did he do? He walked with them in their confusion In their sadness, he came alongside of them. He left Jerusalem where he was so that he could go and meet these two questioning, searching, confused men to help bring understanding. He went to be with them. Friends, Jesus does the same for you and me today. I hope you see that. You see, Jesus draws near to us as we walk in trying to understand all the complexities of life. I want you to hear this truth from the Scriptures. God is and always has been the I am with you God. He is and always has been the I am with you God. I'm not going to go through it, but gosh, from the very beginning of the Scriptures, when Adam and Eve turned against God, they they were sent out of the garden. Guess who went with them? God. And the story unfolds from there. God is the I am with you God. He always has been, and friends, he always will be for us. He walks with us. He listens to us. He speaks to us. He meets us in our confusion. He meets us in our questions. He meets us in our sadness and our joys and our fears and our celebrations. He is always with us. You see, while Jesus isn't physically present with us, he is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. He's come to make his home in you. He is with you, and the promise is he will never leave you. He will never leave you. He's made his home in you. Jesus, the night before he was handed over to be arrested, was with his disciples in this upper room, One of the things he was telling them is what's what's about to happen. Again, they couldn't conceive of it at that moment. But listen to what he said as he was telling them that he was about to go away. He said in John 14, verses 16 to 18, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive 
because it neither sees him or knows him. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Friends, that's a promise. That's a promise for you and me right here, right now. He has not left us as orphans. We are not abandoned. He is not just over here with us. He is in us. So much greater, friends. You and I have a gift so much greater than what they had when they saw Jesus physically. We have the very presence of God dwelling in us through His Spirit. That's glorious. But the problem is this. The problem is that we are the ones who so often do not recognize His presence with us. We all say, God, where are you? Well, He's here. But so often we don't recognize His presence. Let me ask you a few questions. What difference would it make in your life? Whatever season you're in, what difference would it make in your life if you really knew that God is always with you? What difference would that make as you're journeying through struggles and challenges right now? What habits can you begin to practice to help you pay attention to God's presence with you? That's important. What habits can you begin to practice, put in your daily life to help you remember God's presence with you? Friends, I want you to see, Dustin kind of alluded to it, but the different things that we do in this worship service are pictures of God's presence with us that that we're to take with us as we go, not to leave in here and pick back up when we come in next Sunday, but to take these things with us, being reminded of God's presence always with us. The last question is this, what is hindering you? What's hindering you from paying attention to God's presence with you? There are a lot of things, right? A lot of distractions. We busy ourselves. We run like crazy through life. But what is it for you? What's hindering you from paying attention to God's presence with you? Name those things. Bring them to the Lord. Then I love what Jesus says to his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, remember that this morning. Jesus encounters us and walks with us, and he gives us this promise, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's how Jesus encounters us. The second thing we see here is that Jesus reframes our understanding of our lives. He reframes our understanding of this world by bringing us back to the biblical narrative, the narrative that makes sense of all of life. They made a statement to Jesus as they were walking with him. And by the way, you've heard it in the scripture, they didn't know it was Jesus at that time. They just thought it was a random man who was clueless because he didn't know what was going on, right, in Jerusalem. How could somebody not, as they say? But Jesus is walking with them, and they don't know that it's him. Their eyes are closed to it. But they say these very important words in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You see, they placed their hope in the right person, but what they hoped for was far too small. I'm going to say it again. They placed their hope in the right person, but what they hoped for was far too small. You see, they were placing their hope that, that Jesus would be redeemer, and that he is, but their view was skewed. They were looking for a redeemer, a rescuer, who who would take them out and rescue them from their geopolitical enemies. They wanted rescue from the Roman Empire, the oppression that the Roman Empire was placing upon them. 
That is what they saw their greatest need. If you just rescue us from them, that's what we need, right? What they hoped for was far too small. I believe we're so much like them. We place our hope in Jesus. That's the right one to place our hope in for sure. He is. But I fear that for many of us, what we hope for is far too small. What are you hoping Jesus will do for you? Sometimes we say, Jesus, I just want you to fix these problems in my life. If you just fix it, I'll be fine, right? Just, just give me two Tylenol, headache will be gone, and I can get on with life, right? Just fix the problems. Sometimes we just want Jesus to make life easy for us. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you want that? Jesus, just my hope, you just make life easier for me. Or you've got a lot of decisions to make. Jesus, just tell me what to do. I don't know which way to go, but just, I just want you to tell me what to do. Jesus, I just want you to fix the things that are broken in my family. Sometimes we just want Jesus to do that, but friends, we're hoping. Those are all good things, but that, if that's our only hope, we're hoping for something far too small. See, Jesus is our Redeemer who came to do something radical in our lives. And here's what we begin to see in verses 25 through 27 as Jesus begins to speak. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If you and I are going to find hope, if you and I are going to live with a hope that the things that are wrong in this world can change, if we are going to live with hope that goodness can flourish, that broken places, the broken places of our society can experience renewal, that those who've been marginalized, those who have been cast aside around us can experience value and protection, then what we need to understand is a renewed vision of who our Redeemer is. You see that? We need a greater understanding, a greater picture of who our Redeemer is and what he came to do. And Jesus opens their eyes, and I love this, this he retells the story to show the Redeemer in it. He retells the story beginning with the, old, with the prophets in the Old Testament and going all the way through. He starts with Moses and goes through. He retells the story that they had heard so many times. They'd been in the synagogue week after week. They'd heard these stories read. They knew them. They could share them with each other. But what Jesus does is he brings them back to the truth about the biblical narrative that makes sense of everything. You see, the biblical narrative tells us this. It helps us see that what we need to be rescued from is not the enemy out there, but the enemy in here. That's not our greatest enemy. You're, you're, the person that you're upset with is not your greatest enemy. <laughs> the political leader whom you disagree with is not your greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is not out there. He's in here. It's the sin inside of all of us. It's the devil. It's Satan and the disruption that he has brought into God's good world. You see, God knew, friends, from the very beginning that because of sin entering this world, we needed a Redeemer. That's our greatest need. We need to see that's what he came to do as Redeemer. See, one of the things that sin does, now think about this, causes us to live for ourselves. Sin causes us to be self-focused, self-centered. Think about it. When we put ourselves first, 
everything around us is negatively impacted, isn't it? When we put ourselves first. Think for a moment about a relationship you have. What happens in that relationship when you put yourself first? Does it flow beautifully? No. (laughs) There's disruption. Relationships don't work like they ought to when we put ourselves first. Distorts how we relate to one another. Sin distorts how we think. Sin distorts how we interact with God's good creation. And sin breaks and fractures our relationship with God. And what we find instead of sin, instead of living to flourish, we struggle to live. They didn't see that was their greatest need. But that's the reality for all of us. Instead of living to flourish, we struggle to live. And the message of Scripture is this. Without a Redeemer, we are doomed. Without a Redeemer, we're doomed. Culture, society is doomed, hopeless, without a Redeemer. But friends, here's the good news. And here's the good news that Jesus begins to open their eyes to. God knew what we needed. He always knew what we needed. And the promise from the very beginning of the Scriptures is that He came to bring a Redeemer. Probably none of you know or have heard of Ed Clowney. For me, he was probably one of the most godly ministers, one of the most humble ministers I'd ever met. He was an individual that I got to serve with in my first two years of ministry out of seminary. Ed Clowney was a great theologian. He wrote many books, one of which is called The Unfolding Mystery, Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. This is what Jesus came to open their eyes to. Listen to what he wrote. The Bible is the greatest story ever told, not just because it's full of wonderful stories, but because it tells one great story, the story of Jesus. The story is God's story. It describes his work to rescue rebels from their folly, guilt, and ruin. And in his rescue operation, God always takes the initiative. He did from the very beginning, and he always has, and he always will. You see, what Jesus is, he's opening their eyes to the Scriptures. He's opening their eyes that they would see him in the Scriptures, that they would see him in the stories of the Old Testament, that they would see that Jesus is the greater Moses, the greater deliverer. Jesus is the greater King David who came to rule and reign over this world and our enemies. Do you see that? Samson, that, that, that judge, that very fallen, broken man, we see this man save many, right, by giving his life. Jesus is the greater Samson. God was at work then pointing us to what he came to do for you and me in Christ. Friends, this story from beginning to end is all about God coming to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Those two followers of Jesus didn't get it. They missed it. I wonder if you get it this morning. Jesus retells the story. An important question we need to ask is this. How am I reading the story? Ask that to yourself. How am I reading the story? Are you reading it as an ethical guide to a moral life? That's not how it was ever meant to be read. Are you reading it so you can check it off your list? I did it. Are you reading it to look for a quick fix for your problems? Or are you reading it as David did in Psalm 27 when he wrote these words, One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here's the key, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and meditate in his temple. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Friends, this is all about what Jesus has come to do for us. Oh, that we would be a people who gaze upon the beauty of the majesty of our Lord. And he brings everything together at the end of this journey with them. They're walking along. They invite him to come and stay with them, and he does. And we read this. When he sat at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. I love that. We're going to wrap it up with this. He takes the bread and he breaks it. Remember what he did the night before he died, that last supper with his disciples. Do you know what he said? He took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Friends, their eyes were open because they saw in the breaking of bread, Jesus is the bread of life. He is the Savior. His body, blood shed on the cross for you and me. He gave himself so that we could have life. The invitation this morning, as it is every morning, every Sunday as we gather, is to come to the table, to come to the rail, to receive the bread of life and feed upon him and find that he alone satisfies your greatest longings. May our prayer be this morning, these words, Jesus, come to me in the breaking of bread. Reveal yourself. Strengthen me with your grace. Show me your mercy. Amen. Father, thank you for the beauty and power of your word that you open our eyes to see and behold who you are. I do pray in the breaking of bread this morning that this would be such a holy moment where we don't just see you, but we encounter your fullness in us. So come Holy Spirit. Do what you long to do in setting captives free, encouraging those who are faint and weary, bringing hope to the hopeless, courage and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.